You're listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Ellent. Our guest today is a former Olympic athlete, bodybuilder, plant-based nutrition coach, and health researcher. He's here to tell us his story about the use of cannabis, but wants to remain anonymous because he lives in an illegal state. So we're going to refer to him as James. James, thanks for doing this. No problem. Thanks for having me. Now, you've been using cannabis to clear a growth. Tell us about that. So it's an interesting story about at the end of 2015, I just finished a bodybuilding show and I started having some digestive problems and a uh, long story short, my appendix ruptured. And so when I went in to have my uh, appendix looked at, they also found a small growth on my kidney. So, you know, as I'm getting ready to go in surgery, the uh, surgeon's like, you know, we figured out what's going on with your stomach you're in so much pain. Um, your appendix is ruptured and oh, by the way, you have a small growth on your kidney. So I'm all drugged up. So I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. And my wife's like, what? So that kind of began my whole journey with, you know, the whole cancer world, the whole natural treatment world. I mean, just you're, you know, so going on almost two years of just studying, interviewing, reading anyone I could talk to about anything. Um, and actually, I just started using cannabis. It's going on a month yesterday. That's just been kind of new to my repertoire, but I've been doing the rest just with diet, exercise, meditation, all the stuff that I teach people. Um, and thus far, praise God, it's, it's actually shrunk and it's gone down a little bit. I'll actually be new for a new scan probably next month, and I will uh, see what the cannabis has done because I have done no conventional treatment. No conventional treatment at all. I've done nothing. Nope. But the tumor is shrinking. Yes, it started at, it was largest at 3.6 on my right kidney. And with, the other thing I, I learned about that, you know, hopefully this will help listeners in their journey is, Scans are by no means even remotely accurate. I had six different scans last year with six different technicians, which means I got six different results. So they were just all 20 or 30% just kind of above or below each other. So they all kind of hovered around that. But at the end of the year, they were slightly smaller than when I first began. And even research that is actually published on PubMed will actually discuss how even CT scans can be off as much as 30%. Wow, so, you know, I think that's, sorry to interrupt, but that's really, no, yeah. key. I think that's no, really it's, it's, key for people who are listening. Yeah. You know, and they, yeah. go, they go to the doctor and they get one scan and, uh, exactly. you know, they, they freak out because the news is so bad and not necessarily the truth. Yep. Or on the flip side of that, you know, you think, oh, I'm, what I'm doing is working and shrinking. And, I mean, you know, like say you had a one-centimeter uh, tumor, you could go, and that could be anywhere from 0.7 to 1.3 in terms of 30% off either way. So it's a pretty big it's a pretty big margin. I mean, I actually had one scan. It was actually my third scan. I was getting uh, ultrasounds done this entire time. And when I went in for the ultrasound, they because they can look at uh, blood supply and they can look at um, if the tumor is active. And what they were saying is like, oh, well. You know, yours is shrinking. It's it's down like thirty percent, and there's no blood supply. They have vascular, and it looks like it's dead. And I was like, oh, well, that's great. So I went in for a follow up ninety days later just to make sure. And it's like now it's bigger and it has a blood supply. I'm like, all right, this is clearly not an exact science. And when I was talking to the technician, she was like, yeah, this is 
Now, she goes, this is just basically to make sure it doesn't just grow dramatically and spread. She goes, other than that, it's it's going to be off a little bit every time we measure it. I said, all right. Something to keep in mind if you're if you're really trying to base what you're doing, it's not by any means going to be that precise. So just FYI. Now, James, when you take the oil, you indicated that your heart races. Now, what, Sometimes, yeah. What do you do to mitigate that? So kind of in some research I kind of stumbled across, it, it could be – there's a few things it could be. It could be kind of altering the vagal nerve, which kind of controls heart. I mean, the vagal nerve is connected, is connected to everything in the body and, and controls sympathetic response and parasympathetic response. So what it could be, and kind of what, at least what I do, is it's based off salt. So a lot of times when your blood pressure tanks, you'll see a huge rise in pulse. It's kind of like women or predominantly women have this issue. It's called POTS. It's an issue with uh, tachycardia where they stand up too quickly and all of a sudden they get lightheaded, but their pulse takes off. Well, they're lightheaded because their blood pressure is low, so the pulse is taking off trying to raise the blood pressure. So what I noticed when it would happen to me, it was very random, but I would notice if I would take my larger dose, like via suppository, um, which I know I heard Corey say, like, very few people get high. I get tremendously high sometimes off the suppositories, even very small amounts. It's not an exact science, and it's, uh, it's been an interesting ride. But I would take a suppository before I go to bed, and it would be sometimes when I metabolize in my system. It was weird. It was right around midnight or 1 o'clock. I would wake up like as a startle, and my pulse would be going like out of my chest. Um, and I noticed I would get really cold, so I tracked my blood pressure, and it, was, it had dropped quite a bit when it was doing it. So one of the things you can do is take salt, like sea salt or Himalayan pink salt or Celtic salt, whatever you want, just not table salt. You, would, you don't want a refined salt. Because the other unrefined salts like sea salt and Himalayan salt, about potassium, magnesium, and about another 80 trace minerals to balance blood pressure. So I'll take like a quarter teaspoon of that, put it in just a very small glass of water, and, and just drink it really fast. And a lot of times, if you do a couple servings of those, what you'll find is it'll calm the parasympathetic nervous system or the sympathetic nervous system, which is why that pulse is going crazy. It'll kind of calm down your adrenals and it'll start to balance out your blood pressure. And it it happy it actually happened to me two nights ago, and it. No, it probably took a minute or two to resolve. Um, I think the first time it happened, it probably took an hour, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I actually heard um, on Corey's follow-up interview you guys did recently talking about her six-year, I believe, six-year cancer-free, which congratulations. She had talked about how sometimes her pulse races, and she talked to a lot of people on that. And, yeah, my wife uses it as well. Um, just for headaches and just, just, I think, stress management. She's actually never had that problem, but um, I think it was just unique to me, but everybody's different. Yeah, I have the problem of low blood pressure. And uh, I started taking sea salt, Celtic salt, as a Mm -hmm. result of reading David uh, Brownstein's book. Salt Your Way to Health. Health. Yeah, I mean, it's a great book. A lot of people don't realize, and I think we've been brainwashed over the number of decades, uh, by doctors who tell us that salt is bad for us. Salt is not yeah. bad for us. The refined salt is bad for exactly. us. Exactly. Without salt, you will die. I mean, it's very simple. It's one of the most essential nutrients we have. And if you don't have enough of it, you will die. Even if you have water, you can still go into either heart or kidney failure. Um, there's actually a great new book that's out. Um, it's actually called The Salt Fix. And it goes into a lot more in depth. That It's got tons of studies in it. It talks about blood pressure, where that kind of hypothesis and misnomer came from, the other uses of salt, especially in the kidneys and with diabetes. It's a very good book. But, it, yeah, it basically just talks about, you know, 
salt is essential nutrient um and you need it and the more you lose it the bigger problems you're gonna have yeah and animals uh like salt i mean an animal yes. goes up to a salt lick it's yeah. just, you don't say you can only take two licks, licks that's it <laughs> right. only two right. we gotta watch your blood pressure there a little exactly. piggy yeah, yeah, right. exactly you don't have them check the salt and check our blood pressure i know i it's, and it's the same thing too. With somewhat in the book, salt fix goes goes into the concept of overhydration, which is, you know, we're kind of like it's beaten to our head. We need to drink so much water. So you'll see people drinking just insane amounts of water a day. They're you know they're married to the water bottle, but they're not taking any salt or any minerals with that. And you can actually dilute the blood volume with that. And that's actually sometimes why people get elevated blood pressure is because they don't have enough salt, and the salt is diluting the blood. So blood pressure tries to go up to accommodate for it. So there's some very interesting nuances with that um but yeah salt is extremely crucial in any way it really helps if mine takes off like that because my blood pressure generally runs 120 over 80 no problem but i did notice the times it happened it definitely dropped down to like mid hundreds and low 70s which for me is very low and i could tell when i was very shaky i was very cold and my pulse was going really high and then i said uh, when i was checking it was like mid 90s but my resting pulse generally runs 50 so it was almost doubled so the first few times it happened, it, yeah, it was it was definitely pretty uh, pretty alarming, but it, it's not a big deal. It just takes some salt and it balances out. Have you noticed since you've been taking the salt that this problem hasn't occurred with such regularity as it did before? You know, no, it's pretty it's pretty common. I'm, I'm wondering after I listened to your show with the gentleman who had, had MS who found combining with hemp oil basically uh, increased the strength of the cannabis oil like exponentially, it sounded like. You know, my diet's very high in omega-3s, and uh, so I'm just wondering if instead of my tolerance getting better is if – as I because I do purposely take hemp oil and other omega-3s when I take the cannabis oil. I'm actually wondering if – because that gentleman said in his interview that he noticed over time he needed substantially less, or he would get very high. So he would kind of titrate it back, and I'm, I'm kind of wondering if I'm running into the same thing where it's – it's working and my body is absorbing it really well, but I need a little bit less. So sometimes, like I took a suppository this morning, I had no, I didn't even get high, I had no problems. But sometimes I'll take it and it's, I mean, I'm very high and I'll have like racing pulse and just weird symptoms. So it seems pretty hit or miss. It's kind of hard to pinpoint. How much are you taking? I started at a half a gram. I mean, I was trying to work up orally, and then I found uh, your guys' radio, which was great. And then I started listening about suppositories. I was like, oh, so this is a great way for me to get my dose up without having to uh, do so much orally. Because I just I couldn't do – I mean, there's no way I could do a gram a day orally. I mean, I'm going, like I said, on my fourth week of taking it. And, I mean, orally, I can probably still only handle barely a grain of rice, and it still just will slam me sometimes. So I just – I can't. I can't do that much. So I'm anywhere. The most I've gotten up to is maybe a half to maybe three quarters of a gram. But I think that was honestly a pretty weak THC strand because I didn't have that much of, a, of an issue with it. This last strand I got is much more potent. And I can't. There's no way. If I did a half a gram suppository that a day, I, I wouldn't be out of bed for a couple of days. So I, I'm, definitely, I'm, I'm down to probably 0.2, you know, 0.25 if those are roughly accurate. So probably a quarter of a gram. Now, you live in an illegal state, as we mentioned. Is it Correct. difficult to obtain in an illegal state? I don't think anything is if you really search <laughs> if you, it out. If you put your mind yeah. to it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I have I have someone who uh, has brings it to me and then I make the oil. Yeah, which is incredibly easy. Now, you were a healthy guy before this growth mm-hmm. developed. Have you changed your diet at all? Oh, yeah. So, you know, there's interesting. Um, so there are some tests that you can actually take. First of all, you're never really going to find cancer on a blood test. 
for most cancers, unless it's like leukemia or something that's an immune-based cancer, you're not going to find most cancers on a blood test unless it's affecting an organ or uh, some other system of the body that's easily tested on labs. Like my labs, which I monitor probably every six months and a half or so years, my labs are always great. I mean, they're still great now. I mean, they're better. They didn't have much room for improvement, but they're, they were great even when I had the growth. So there are some other tests that people can do if they're kind of wondering, like, you know, is, is my mass cancerous or what's my risk for recurrence or what is my risk now if I can't find anything? There's actually at least the time I looked at about three years ago, there's a really good test called the Oncoblot. And it basically can find cancer up to stage zero and it's 99.6% accurate. Now, I don't know if they run it worldwide. I know they one in the U.S. and it is FDA approved, just not FDA approved for reimbursement. So when I first took that, it said I didn't have cancer. So again, you're, you're relying on that test to be accurate, but I did have the mass of which my surgeon, who's from Sloan Kettering, said he was 95% sure it was cancer. So I was like, well, whatever. Um, I'm going to treat it like it is because it shouldn't be there in the first place. So I converted to plant-based, like a whole food plant-based overnight, and that's what I've been on ever since then. And then, yes, I I mean, I changed, which is kind of something I want to touch on for people today to give them an idea of maybe a a guideline is I changed my entire life. So I cut my work schedule back. Anything that was stressing me out, I dumped. Um, You know, I grew my faith in God, which was not high, which it should have been high. I focused on the relationship with my wife, which was good, but I worked too much. And I, you know, I have a busy business, so I was just more focused on that. And um, Then I switched to a plant-based diet, and then I used to train way too much, so I dialed my training back. um, And just focused more on trying to find balance, like, across the board in my life. And that's really what people have to understand, and I'm sure obviously Corey knows and a lot of other people know, when you're going through this, it's not one thing that will ever help you. It's a combination of things that when they work synergistically is really what helps change your life. Yeah, a holistic approach. Exactly. You can't, I mean, I see sometimes people, I'm like, well, I tried the oil and it didn't work for me. It's like, what else did you do in your life? Are you Mm -hmm. still eating McDonald's every day? Do you still have toxic relationships? Are you still not sleeping? Do you still drink? I mean, there's a million factors. I mean, if it was just a silver bullet as easy as just taking cannabis, there wouldn't be any problems in the world. But there's so many other things that really go into it of you really have to understand you have to change your whole life and if you want to get better. You know, the people that we've interviewed on this program, one of the things that I've noticed is that when they have gotten cancer and they've cleared themselves of cancer, they've changed their diet. And Mm -hmm. uh, what really amazes me is that so many people have absolutely no comprehension that what they put in their body is food for their cells. Absolutely. And if their cells aren't getting the proper nutrition, then they can't function optimally, and uh, people are going to get sick. Absolutely. I mean, you're if you're not eating optimally, there's so many things that break down. I mean, the number one thing, first, all health starts in the gut. So if you have a poor diet and you're not feeding your gut microbes with fiber and other things correctly, your immune system will immediately suffer because 70% of it is in roughly the gut and in the gut lining. So you're already at a disadvantage. And that's one of the problems with chemotherapy and radiation. My mother died of colon cancer about six months before they found my mass. She went through chemo, had her entire colon removed. She actually did. She me back up. She did not die from cancer. Two weeks prior, she had a PET scan that said she was completely healthy. And two weeks later, she died of a stroke. The stroke, I believe, was from the chemo. Because that's the chemo. Yeah, exactly. One of the, it's one a very of the, strong side effect. One, yeah, one of the little side effects they don't tell you about. Yep. You know, exactly. James, I spoke with a, an, an individual in the past week who's pretty ill with cancer stage three. 
And when I touched on diet with this individual, they flat out refused to change their diet. When I, like they told me they eat three, three chocolate bars a day. And there was no wow. way they were giving that up. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, well, you might want to do like a visual in your head of every time you're taking a bite of that chocolate bar, you are feeding fertilizer to those cancer cells. Oh, absolutely. You know, but yeah, absolutely. Now, with diet, too, I mean, it's it's I think, you know, if we're going to there's a really great acronym. There is this doctor who cured herself of cancer. Her name is Lorraine Day. Which you've probably heard of her. Um, she was an MD. She was the head of a trauma surgeon in, in uh, of a hospital in, in San Francisco. And she had cancer, I think, in the mid 80s. And she immediately admitted that she wasn't going to do treatment because she knew that we didn't know how to cure cancer. So she's like, there's no point in me doing cancer. And she had breast cancer. So she wrote a book. And I think in the book, she said she tried 40 natural treatments in eight months, which no treatment's going to work that fast. So and that's still kind of, I don't think she gave it a fair choice. But the point of her story was she never got well until she gave her care to God and kind of changed her life. Um, she was just focusing on, well, I'll just eat this diet or I'll just do this. But she didn't really focus on changing her entire life. And she had a really great acronym that I always tell people, and it's called New Start. And it's an easy way for people to remember like what they should be doing, I think, Maybe daily, because somebody's like, what should I do each day, or how should I change my life? And so the New START acronym stood for, the the N stood for nutrition, which is pretty simple. Whole food, plant-based diet has been studied to be the best um, in terms of disease recovery, lowering methionine, which all tumors feed off of, lowering IGF-1, which is gasoline for tumor cells. And then not getting caught up in, like Corey just mentioned it, the sugar route, where people are like, well, I can't have sugar because I have cancer or whatever. It's like, you can have fruit. Processed sugar is entirely different from whole food-based nutrients. Because if you're eating grapes, for example, which do have a lot of sugar, they also have polyphenols, have antioxidants, they also have resveratrol. I mean, they have all these other nutrients, you know, and fiber and things that actually help you assimilate that food versus eating a chocolate bar or eating, you know, adding table sugar to my cereal. I mean, there's there's a big difference there, which I think it's very confusing. So I tell people, just, just eat whole foods in their most natural form. Like, if you're going to eat potatoes, eat potatoes. Don't eat potato chips. And I mean, so eat things that are that are basically how nature made them. And the, the foods are an amazing variety of foods that are incredibly appetizing and satiating and, and help your body increase your immune system, you know, change your gut integrity, increase your bacteria. I mean, there's all these different things. And then the, just really quick, so is, it was nutrition, exercise, water, sun, temperance, which just means avoiding things you shouldn't be doing air, rest, and trust in God. And she really had a really nice kind of outline that's something I use to my clients that, you know, there's 10 things. So even if you just focused on, you know, your supplements or whatever, that's only 10%. I mean, so you really have to look at like to, to really get well and heal. You'll see, and maybe not every person has done it because I have clients who are terminal that um, after we started working together and they did not change anything and they're still alive. But by far, most of them, if you really look at people who've turned it around, they've changed everything. And those are the people who, who will stay in their mission and stay healthy. Those generally the people who changed everything because something you were doing created this. So if you continue to do the same thing, you're not going to get better. When you talk to your clients who have cancer, do you talk to mm-hmm. them about cannabis oil? No, I'll bring it up. Um, but again, in our state, it's not legal. So, you know, but I think... At least it's gaining enough traction. A lot of people will ask me about it, like, have you ever heard of it? Have you ever tried it? I'm like, yeah, when I go to Colorado, because it's legal, I'll try it when I'm in Colorado, for sure. Um, I definitely will recommend it to them. I think most of them, I've had a few recently that have done 
really well. And uh, but you know, because we're in a legal state, they didn't use it, and it was just through you know nutrition changes, exercise, you know, changing their life, learning to prioritize things. I think which is one of the biggest blessings of any kind of I think disease diagnosis is you quickly realize what's really important. At least hopefully people do. Um, and what doesn't really matter and makes life really simple really quickly. And I think that once they start to learn how to reprioritize things, that's actually one of the biggest steps. When I was in the gym this morning, a fellow came up to me, and he knows what I do. He knows about the podcast, and his Mm -hmm. father-in-law has endocrine cancer. He's a Mm -hmm. former cardiac surgeon. And he said, uh, can you tell me a bit about uh, cannabis oil? So I told him a bit, and he said, will he get high taking it? And I said, well, there's ways around that, but uh, probably he may get high. And mm-hmm. I, gave him, I gave him Joss's, Joss's line, <laughs> line. Do you want to get high or do you want to die? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, I think about that sometimes when I take it and I am high, I kind of laugh about it. I'm like, well, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we've, we have been stigmatized and brainwashed about this for so long that people are scared of it. But they're not scared mm-hmm. of pharmaceutical drugs, which is just yeah. it baffles the hell out of me. Yeah, that's insane. I would be incredibly fearful of anything pharmaceutical. I mean, there was just, and I, and I know you've got great listeners. I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but you know, you've got there was a study that has. I think it was just was it the New York Times. I can't remember. I have to look it up. Came out two weeks ago, confirming that chemotherapy and radiation are now confirmed to be known as causing secondary cancers or making primary cancers worse. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's, uh, there's, I think it's 19 different chemotherapy drugs that practically come with a written guarantee that you're going to have, oh, le- yeah. have leukemia within two years. Oh, yeah. And it's like, so why would you, I don't know why you'd go down that route, but you know, everybody's different. It just depends on where your mindset is. I think, you know, it depends on if you're sold the fear-based speech from the doctor when you get it. Luckily, my surgeon was very laid back. He was very appropriately aggressive. And he just said, you know, look, we can we can biopsy this. We can watch it or we can take it. He's like, so we can do whatever you want to do. And initially, because I was very fearful, I said, take it out. You know, I had just had an appendix surgery, so I couldn't have another surgery for eight weeks because I had to let it heal. And he's like, well, we'll take it in eight weeks because that's as soon as I can take it. And so I was like, okay. So then I started doing all the research. I started interviewing survivors, and I started talking to people who have done things, and then I just started really finding some good resources. And then all of a sudden, I was like, okay, so maybe this isn't the end of the world today. Um, if I made some changes, I may be able to reverse this or at least stop it from – I mean, because I think that's the other thing is even if you're not, I think, in remission, quote-unquote, as long as it – you can learn that some of these things can live symbiotically together. So, for example, maybe you have a tumor that's not causing organ dysfunction, it's not causing any problems anywhere, and it's not growing. Well, if it doesn't grow and it doesn't spread, it can't kill you. So some of these things, even if you just slow it down or stop it from progressing, a lot of times most people die with cancer. They don't die because of it. It's sometimes just an afterthought. But it's, it's almost like in some states managing diabetes where if you follow a program and you learn to manage it, you can live a long, healthy life. Now, some people obviously don't have that benefit because some are more aggressive and some are, you know, very late stage and they were already sick to begin with. And, you know, I think at that point in time, you definitely better be willing to change your whole life or your survival rate will probably go down substantially. Are you going to go back to your surgeon uh, at the eight-week mark and tell him what you're doing? Oh, I've already, yeah. So that was uh, about a year and a half ago. Oh, so when I see. We, okay. Yeah. Yeah. When we had my appendix taken out, I met with my surgeon. And uh, at that time, he said, you know, we, we will take it in eight weeks. And then as I was doing my research, I called him. I said, you know what? I just want to wait. And I just want to watch it. And he said, that's fine. And so I was kind of on the cusp of like in the, in the kidney world, if it's like below three centimeters, it's like considered pretty indolent, like not 
very aggressive and I still don't think I have cancer. I mean, it is what it is. It shouldn't be there, but I, I don't really think it's cancer, but he was saying, you know what, we'll watch it. And then as it kind of started shrinking a little bit and it got below three, he was like, you know, you do whatever you want. If you want to just keep watching it, I'm totally fine with it. And he's like, and you can call me and anytime you want, I'll schedule a new scan for you. So I was kind of like every last year, every 90 days I was going in for a scan, but then it just became kind of neurotic and you're just like living test to test. And I was just like, you know, so I started spacing out to like every six or eight months because the thing was, I never had a single symptom of Lyme before. And, you know, they found it accidentally when they took out my appendix. So I think in a way that people are like, you know, how do you feel? I'm like, well, I felt great before. And I feel great now. So for me, it's kind of tricky because, you know, you obviously have some cases like Corey's story and some other people's story where they were in pretty horrific conditions. Like they knew they were getting better when they started taking something because it felt better and they saw changes. But I think sometimes when you don't have any symptoms or you don't feel bad in the first place, it then becomes difficult to tell like, well, is what I'm doing working or do I feel better? So that that's, I think, one of the tricks. But once he saw it was definitely shrinking, he was he was totally fine with doing whatever I wanted to do. So that that's kind of been the holding pattern I've been in recently. How often do you, uh, the frog here, how often do you take oil? How many, to- how many times? I do it. I do it every day. And um, I'm going to blank on his name, but the doctor who had prostate, you guys interviewed Dennis. I can't Dennis Hill. That thought, I thought it was Dennis Hill, but I couldn't remember if it was a cartoon character. I remember him talking about, you know, it's very important to take the morning dose and the evening dose because of you want it in your system consistently. Yeah. So there's mornings like, I guess, and kind of like what you both have said, kind of echoed those sentiments in my head where like, just take it. It doesn't matter if it's the best strand. It doesn't matter. Just get it in you the best you can. So even some mornings when I don't, you know, like I'm still hung over the night before from maybe taking some cannabis sometimes, I'll still take a little bit in the morning just to keep something in my systems all day. So usually I'll make my suppositories ahead of time and I will usually do three suppositories which are, are anywhere between a tenth of a gram to a twentieth of a gram and I'll do those uh, three times a day. So again I'm anywhere from between 0.3 to half a gram a day. It depends on the strand. If I get a really strong strand, I do not do as much because I just can't take it. But mm-hmm. if it's if I notice it's a weaker strand, I'm like eh, like my last one, I'm like, eh, I can do almost a gram a day on that. That one wasn't that bad. But this new one I'm like <laughs> my guy who brought it to me is like, so this one's called Gorilla Crush. I'm like, oh, oh this is it yeah, should be fun. you know that, Corey? I've heard of that one. Yes, Gorilla Crush. It, yeah, yeah, it's very, very strong. So, I think as as this is obviously somewhat of a of a new frontier in terms of cannabis and finding dosage doses information and finding this. Um, I know a lot of people said you know the gram a day is the standard, but from a lot of the research I've done, not a lot of people actually took a gram a day. I didn't. Um, I didn't get up yeah, to a gram, and yeah. and the the whole gram a day thing is just kind of passe now. I mean. A gram a day. What does that mean? A gram a day. Somebody might have an oil that is, for sake of argument, only forty percent THC, as opposed mm-hmm. to somebody else who have an oil that's sixty percent THC. So it's uh, when when and if I speak to people about that now, I'm very very clear with them. This is only a guideline, only a guideline. I mean, as I said, I didn't get up to a gram a day, no, mm-hmm. nowhere near, mm-hmm. and I've known I others think, who haven't. And we're I think very too on this. It- and, and, then, and I remember hearing Corey say that, which is I'd listened to one of the interviews, which was great because I was like, okay, good. So I don't, I don't really have to try and get to a gram a day. I think this is the tricky part too of it. I think it's like you really have to listen to your body. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, like when I was taking too much, like I mean, I felt it. I didn't feel actually didn't feel that good. And some people, I think I'm kind of sensitive to it. Where my wife, she'll take it and she'll get happy no matter how much 
she gets or how high she gets, she's, she's fine with it. If I get too much, it'll do the opposite to me where it'll actually make me a little anxious. It'll actually intensify if I have any pain. Like I don't have any pain, but let's say I have an ache or pain or something. It'll actually intensify it or it'll, or I notice like I can move the pain around in my head. Like, Oh, does my knee hurt? Now my knee hurts. Oh, does my elbow hurt? So you can move it around. So I'm like, you know, some of it's very psychosomatic. So I think that you just have to find a dose you're comfortable with and just keep it in your system. And then I think as long as you make those other lifestyle changes, you'll definitely see probably a bigger return in terms of how much or how little you're taking instead of being like, again, I, when I first started, I met a guy, his name was also James, who actually developed lung cancer from the Fukushima reactor in Japan. So he was a U.S. Special Forces guy. He was sent in with, I think, six other guys and to, I think, just provide security for the reactors when they first went down. He said they were originally told there was no radiation there. It was non-reactive. He said, so they come out, him and all the guys on his team all come out with cancer. I said, how did you know this? He's like, because our skin was melting off and we were violently ill. And so they go in and they all had, I think it was all like leukemia or lung cancer or something. And so while he was in the, the U.S. military, they said, you know, you can't do non-conventional treatment or we won't pay for it. So he actually had to get a discharge. So he got a discharge, and he actually was a grower in California. So he just went home, and he went back to his old job and went back to his old farm. And he said he did an all-vegetable diet and vegetable juicing, and he took cannabis and followed Rick Simpson's guidelines verbatim. And six months later, he was fine. And I met him, I think, on his, around his probably sixth or seven-year anniversary of being cancer free. And they told him at the time he had, you know, maybe a month to live or so. And so they, you know, they offered him traditional treatment, which was chemo and radiation. He's like, radiation gave me cancer. Why would I do more radiation? It doesn't make sense. So he went home and did cannabis. And that's actually how I found out about cannabis and, you know, the Rick Simpson piece and, and um, dosaging and growing and just all kinds of stuff. So he was, he was a huge help. Well, that's, that was uh, the number one cause of the cancer that I had, too. And that's what they wanted to do to me was radiate me. And I'm like, let me, let me get this straight. You want to radiate me to get rid of my cancer to create more cancer? Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's, it's bizarre. But I think that the more people understand that, uh, yeah, just get it in your system. Do the best you can with it. Take as much as you can. And then, yeah, like Corey was saying, you know, it's just a guideline. The grammar day is just a guideline. Just a guideline. If you feel like crap and you're having symptoms, then slow down. Slow down, yeah. You know, James, one of the things that we suggest to people who are um, really sensitive to cannabis, uh, another option that they can do is microdosing, where they're taking (laughs) tiny, tiny amounts throughout the day. Say, say every start out every three hours with just a little Mm -hmm. pinhead amount. And then, you know, maybe work up to every two hours, et cetera. And that's, that's proving to be effective with people. That's a good idea. I yeah. sometimes have done that inadvertently because I'm just like, I don't want to do a lot. So I'll just take a little bit at a time, like constantly throughout the day. And I have noticed that when I do that, I don't, I don't ever seem to get high. I can just mm-hmm. do a little bit like all day long. And it, and that's kind of what my mentality was. Like even in the morning, if I wake up and I don't feel like it and I'm still a little groggy, I'm like, I'll just do just, just a small bit. amount. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just to keep it in my system. Yeah. Keep the cannabinoid level up. Yep, exactly. James, has your wife noticed any changes in her as a result of taking cannabis? She definitely sleeps better. She's she had a um just a lot of I mean she has a very stressful job and she uh used to have like a lot of adrenal dysfunction and she'd be very tired on the weekends, sometimes wouldn't even get out of bed, she would just be exhausted. And she travels for her work sometimes and when she'd come back from her trip, she would just be just exhausted. And she would have issues sleeping. She would have issues with anxiety. She would have lots of headaches. And so I think it's just all stress related. And we, uh, and she had some digestive disturbances. 
And um, we started taking cannabis, and a lot of that, pretty much all her stuff is normalized. Her sleep's a lot better. Um, she definitely, I was talking about the other night, I said, do you want to keep doing this? She said, absolutely. So, I mean, she's she definitely finds uh, value and benefit. For, I think the biggest thing for her is it calms her mind. So when she comes home from work, instead of a million things like running in the background of the to-do list, she, she finds the ability to be present and just be relaxed. Does she like you more? Yeah, probably. I mean, she has that. She probably needs a cannabis to put up with me. But uh, yeah, she, she's uh, she's great. We interviewed somebody very recently in Las Vegas who uh, his daughter really likes him a lot more now. Now that he's taking cannabis, <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I bet one of the things I that I, I find interesting in people who. In the past, I didn't quite understand what they meant when they said they had cancer, and cancer was one of the best things that ever happened to them because it changed mm-hmm. their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. For the better. Do you feel the same way? 100%. And it's really funny. There's a, and I'm sure you guys have given out great resources. There's a really good resource that really helped me when I first started, and it's a website called Chris Beat Cancer. And I'm sure you've probably heard of it. But yeah. he, he, uh, uh, stage 3B colon cancer had it removed did not do chemo radiation and did the rest with nutrition and he has a welcome video on his site that just says so you've been told you need treatment just relax just calm down and that really gave me peace but he was talking about one of his interviews that people, he's like you know people say cancer is the best thing that happened to him he goes that is not true he goes it was terrible he was joking around he's like it was terrible I was 25 years old and I was told I had stage 3 colon cancer he goes, it was not a good moment mm-hmm. and I just thought it was funny but I I have literally thought that every day that I, you know, I thank God for it. No matter what would happen, it was because I just, um, my life is so much better. James, it was great to talk to you. Anything you want to say in conclusion? I would just tell people, I think, just just remember, like, pace yourself. I think cannabis is extremely beneficial in, in a lot of different regards. Change your diet, a whole food plant-based diet. Stay relaxed. Uh, there's another really good book, I think, that will outline things and help people. It's called Radical Remissions by Dr. Kelly Turner. It's an unbelievable book. And she basically goes into saying, look, 80% of the time how people heal outside of cannabis and other things is they change their mindset. You know, they change their emotions. They change their entire body. So just I would just reiterate to people, it is an entire lifestyle change. There is no one magic bullet like diet's not going to do it by itself you know meditation's not going to do it by itself but when you start overlapping all of these different therapies that have high success rates and you put them together your chance of success goes up exponentially and then i firmly believe you throw something like cannabis in it which could be a silver bullet for a lot of people because there's obviously been people who've been healed of horrific disease who didn't change their diet didn't change their entire lifestyle or anything i think when you layer all those together i think that's where people have the opportunity to get the best results James, pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for doing this. No problem. Great talking to you both. Thanks so much, James. And if you'd like to help us out on Cannabis Health Radio, go to our website and go to the donate page and make a donation. It can be a one-time donation or a monthly donation. Wherever you are in the world, thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to PodConnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast, The Talking Hedge. 
and newest member on PodCon X. So come on over and check out the Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at the Talking Hedge. You can find me at the Talking Hedge podcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms don't forget to like share and subscribe or don't and i'm out